Listening to Bat Books for Beginners, brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net and filmed in Technicolor. Welcome to a brand new episode of a revamped, re-energised, new 52-esque Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John. Made a few changes and shaken it up a little bit. So I would first of all like to announce that I now have a permanent co-host joining me for all of the issues and helping me to review the comics. And that is Melinda. Hello. And we'll also be adding a guest host as well, who will help uh, with the reviews, give their opinions, and hopefully bring a slightly different perspective on it. And for this episode, it is... It's me, Dustin. So, with the anniversary, the 75th year of Batman, we thought, what a great way to kick it off, by having a look at... Batman, Detective Comics, number 27, which is his first ever appearance, and Batman, issue number one. These are both written by Bill Finger and feature the art of Bob Kane. So I kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on Bob Kane and Bill Finger and kind of what you thought about their talents as a writer and as an artist and kind of what your you think their legacy is within the Batman universes. Obviously their legacy is they created Batman and that's the only dream for. But if you look at the stories and you look at what's actually written in them, the way they're illustrated, they're very simplistic. The one thing I did notice was as I was going through, it seemed that there was a lot of filler in all of these stories. They were really just trying to keep keep the page count up but not really giving you a whole lot of story. And I don't know if that was specific to the time, but these these are by no means great works of stories. They're just fun, simple, kind of one and done. There's, not con- there's a bit of continuity, but it's not anywhere near what we imagine now. Yeah, my, my thoughts are, okay, well, obviously Bob Kane gets a lot of the credit. I mean, obviously to this day we still see Batman created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, he has gotten some recognition definitely in the last 10 years, more so than any other year, even you know before he died, he really wasn't getting that much credit for his work on Batman and his contribution to the Batman mythos. Nowadays, it would be completely flip-flopped because nowadays the writer is the one who's getting the majority of the credit and the artist is getting credit too, but not nearly as much. Um, it wasn't really until the 90s where the writers and the artists were getting shared credits for creating characters and things like that. And even more so, uh, there was a huge controversy a couple months back when DC announced that they were going to be releasing a kind of like a special issue in the month of July for celebrating basically the anniversary of Batman. And they were they listed off to the creators, and Bill Finger's name wasn't even on the creators list. And part of it has to do with the fact that Bob Kane, you know, the contract that he had with DC or at the time National Publications was that this character was his. He recruited Bill Finger to help him, but he was the one who was going to get all the credit. And up until uh, Bill Finger's death, he did not receive any credit for Batman at all. And even when Bob Kane, when he, right before he passed in 1998, he still to that moment was the sole creator of Batman according to you know, DC. And it wasn't up until probably within the last five years that there has been a lot of talk about, you know, giving Bill Finger credit and, and this. So I think it's interesting that 
you know, even though Bob King gets all the credits, the majority of the credit nowadays would go to the writer because they were the ones who were coming up with, you know, the names of certain things and the creation of certain things. And it's really the artist who's just depicting what the writer's telling them to write. Yeah, I, I completely agree with both. I think, I mean, when you do think of Batman, you do think of, of Bob Kane and you think of him as the creator. And, and certainly his artwork's been very influential throughout the ages and he does have a big hold over uh, the Batman universe as as it's uh, part of its creator. But I do think that, that Bill Finger, to be honest, is the unsung hero of it. Um, as Dustin said, you know, you didn't, writers didn't get the credit. It was all about the artwork. Even though when you flick through these uh, these comics, in fact, the writer does almost all of the work. It's him doing the narration panels. It's him writing all the dialogue. And they are very dialogue heavy and very narration heavy as well. And it probably would have come up with the, the stories as well. So I think it's very interesting that obviously he didn't get any credit. And even once he had moved past that period, of, of he still didn't get any credit. And I think he's a much more talented writer than he's ever kind of been remembered for i think he kind of develops the batman character as they go along and he i think is as much as much as bob kane is a driving force behind batman and i think to be honest it you know as as shown with the with the uproar for dc when they didn't put bill finger as a list of creators on there that he's starting to get more recognition i think that's a good thing and i think Hopefully, you'll start to see him being recognised a bit more um, and put forward by DC towards that kind of as as one of the co-creators of Batman. So, moving on, we're looking obviously at Detective Comics twenty-seven, which is his first appearance, and Batman number one. Now, obviously, most people, if you've ever seen one of these things come up for auction are not going to be able to afford the comics as uh, individual issues. And despite our untold wealth that we have here at the Batman universe, none of us actually own original editions. So what we're actually working from is Batman Chronicles Volume 1. This is a, basically was put together as a big series by DC, chronicling all of Batman's adventures and can be picked up from Amazon, it's on eBay, and these are available digitally, both the first issues, they were released a couple of months ago as part of the celebration for the first publication of the Batman issues to celebrate, again, the 75th anniversary. So, let's dig into Batman Detective number 27 and Batman number 1, and have a look at these issues. Batman Detective 27 opens with Jim Gordon receiving bad news that the chemical king Lambert has been killed. The police suspect that it's in fact Lambert's son. Meanwhile, another rich man, Stephen Crane, is also shot and killed in mysterious circumstances. However, as the murderers of Stephen Crane make their escape, they are intercepted by Batman, who takes them out. Batman then heads to another house where Rogers, a further chemical baron, has been taken prisoner. Batman arrives just in time to rescue Rogers. He then takes out Jennings, who turns out to be a bad assistant, and the mastermind behind the plot, Alfred Stryker, who planned to steal the company. Alfred Stryker attacks Batman, but is knocked into a vat of acid. And the issue ends with it being revealed that Batman is, in fact, Bruce Wayne. In Batman number one, the legend of the Batman, who he is and how he came to be, the first story deals with the origin of Batman, why he's an orphan, why he's an independently wealthy bachelor, goes through his training regimen, and it deals with the most famous quote from the origin of Batman about criminals being a superstitious and cowardly lot, and him having a bat fly into his study and deciding to become the Batman. From there, we go into the story Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder, which is the introduction of the Joker. 
There's an old couple sitting at home, and over the radio that they're listening to, the Joker announces that he's going to kill Henry Claridge, a millionaire. Henry Claridge gets a police protection detail, uh, but still ends up dying at the fatal stroke of midnight, just as the Joker predicted. He dies with a smile on his face, which comes to be known as the Joker's trademark. He did it, of course, in order to steal a large diamond that Henry Claridge had. They determined that the, the diamond that was sitting in the safe is actually glass and it's completely fake. The Joker plots to kill several other people in the same manner, and, of course, it happens. So he carries them out through nefarious schemes, killing everybody, and eventually Batman tries to draw him out, and they lock him up. The next story deals with the introduction of Dr. Hugo Strange, uh, who plans to use giants that he's created to create mayhem to cause a distraction so he can rob a bank. Batman discovers what's going on, and he gets caught by Dr. Hugo Strange, gets injected with the same serum, and is working against time to stop everything, and then at the end manages to heal himself so that he does not become one of the monsters and also flies a bat plane. The next story is the introduction of Catwoman. Catwoman is not initially shown in this. Batman gives uh, Robin, Dick Grayson, an assignment to keep his eyes open on a party because there's going to be this huge jewel that's there, and it's pretty well known that someone is going to, play, going to steal it. While they're there, pirates of some sort, gangsters, get on the boat and try to get everybody. So while everyone's fleeing, it's shown that Miss Peggs, who has been introduced as an elderly friend of someone, is fleeing with a little too much sprightliness in her step. And Batman manages to catch her, ripping off her wig and makeup and disguise. And it's revealed that this is Catwoman. She's hidden the jewel that was going to be stolen from this party in a tensor bandage on her ankle. And... Batman and Robin leave the boat, still under the control of the gangsters, and take Catwoman... They're going to take Catwoman into custody, but she manages to escape, and Batman waxes poetic about how lovely her eyes are. In the final story, the Joker returns once more, and they are de he is determined to steal something from a museum, a jewel that belonged to Cleopatra. Batman, of course, helps foil it, almost gets discovered in the process, and Joker begins taunting uh, Batman again. So they set him up and chase him once more. Robin manages to help Batman take him down. The Joker ends up getting stabbed, and they believe he's dead. And at the very end of the story, the Doctor says he's still alive and he's going to live. One of the very first sort of discussion uh, points that I wanted to raise was how you guys felt about Batman in these two stories. Do you feel there's anything that's really kind of carried on from from these initial first two issues into the Batman that we know now, or do you feel that this is a completely different Batman? Uh, one thing that I noticed was, especially the, the Doctor Strange story in Batman number one, he really was initially, you know, a genius. It talks about him becoming a master scientist. So he was able to work out how to create an antidote to whatever Doctor Strange ingest, injected him with. So I think that part of his character, while it may not be necessarily as prevalent in the films, it's certainly in the comics. You know, they're always talking about antidotes that he's developed and how... Poison Ivy has to continually change her toxin because he keeps developing antidotes for it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is carried on really well is if you actually you compare this story, the very first story of the Joker and how he's taking the, you know, he's disguising himself as, as other things and he's taking these people out, that's almost... That, that's that's something that was definitely used in the Dark Knight, where even in the Dark Knight he even dresses up as a policeman and wears makeup to make himself appear as a policeman so that he can take somebody out. So it's something that clearly is is has has been used. The smart aspect, I think, 
I think a lot of the the Joker being smart died down with you know the introduction of the Joker in the animated series and that's not to say that I don't enjoy the Joker from the animated series it's just to say I think that's one of the things that changed the character is that you know for the most part he was a goof and he did a lot of crazy crazy things but he did always he was always shown to have some sort of plan at least over the last couple of years I mean even with the death of the family you know just recently we can see that the Joker is capable of concocting these ridiculously giant plans and making them work in some way, even if it doesn't make sense to us. It somehow works, uh, and I think that I think part of that has to do with the fact that you know that is how he was originally created. He was created as this person who could come up with these master plans. I, I mean, I would I would agree with that. I think that that is one of the things that, that's changed a lot from the Joker, um, especially in the 90s, is his kind of smarts. I mean, in the the first episode that you saw from the Joker, the Joker in Batman, you know, he's thought these crimes out and he's planned them out. And, and actually, the way that he carries these out is, is really clever. And I don't know if we would have seen that from uh, from the Joker, say, in the New 52 that we've got at the moment. And I think that's something that, actually, I'd quite like to see them bring back from that um, from that period. I certainly think that his detective work has very much carried on. I actually think there's been a scaling back of his use of gadgets to get out of events i mean for example again in the batman in the first uh, batman story from batman number one we see him use a magnifying glass which can pick up robin's footprints and that leads him to robin and leads him to be rescued and leads him to catch the joker and i think that that's something that actually they've done quite well to scale back from uh, from that sort of period because that's something that he does rely on certainly i think in my opinion much too heavily on in these kind of stories but at the same time i do like the fact that these issues are very heavily detective orientated there batman putting the clues together to solve the crime and it's not all out action there is action within these stories but there's not a heavy reliance on it and it's very much more centered around his crime solving abilities what do you guys think of that that do you think that that's still an element that goes on today or do you think that it's something that you'd like to see pulled into the comics a bit more a back then people maybe didn't necessarily know the science behind what he was doing and so people just sort of accepted it out of hand like oh yeah he has a magnifying glass that can pick up robin's shoe prints that seems legitimate i believe that um, i think that it obviously a gadget like that would have a lot more explanation behind it now and it i don't know that it would necessarily lose some of the wonder of the story but i i enjoy that he is less reliant on gadgets and i like that they have really well less reliant on gadgets like the ones that he's using in these but i like that he was showcasing his detective skills and and really putting things together and you know making these these deductions and well if it's not this it has to be this in these stories i think that that's a really great element of batman that he's not necessarily you know, punch first, ask questions later. He's gathering those clues. He, he's making his conclusions, and he is going after the bad guys in that way. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is that they back then it was it was I think it was very difficult for the writers, especially with their simplistic writing style, to really get across the idea of really being a really great detective. Nowadays, you can use forensics and you can kind of deduce things because it's it's much more relevant in this in today's world. I mean, with the with all the CSI shows that there are and things like that, where they're constantly using the the clues to solve crimes and things like that, it's something that's I, I think a little bit more 
I guess, common nowadays, I guess is the way to put it, where the people who are reading the comics could potentially understand to a degree what they're talking about. Back then, how many of the writers who were writing these books actually had any idea what forensic science was? Probably none of them. So I think the easy way, easy thing for them to do back then was instead of showing that he was a great detective, it was easier to use these gadgets that may or may not make sense to get him out of these situations or to, you know, enlighten him about certain things without really going into depth. Now, do I think for a second that, like nowadays, a chemical would be used on the bottom of somebody's boots that when an infrared flashlight shows that it would actually be likely? No, because I'm pretty sure a chemical like that would probably be pretty dangerous nowadays. But that being said, I mean, it was just their way of showing that, you know, he could think of something and and get out of a situation. Robin gets stolen, and how does he find him? Well, he you know he thought about this ahead of time. Hey, that means he's a great detective. Nowadays, that stuff like that wouldn't fly. But I think, to a degree, I think the inclusion of gadgets is still something that I think should be used. Realistically, outside of Snyder having some just a couple gadgets here and there that pop up that, you know, they showcase like for instance, they had the hologram thing at the city morgue where he can he can basically examine a body that was murdered without actually having to be there. Gordon can walk in and he can, you know, instantaneously boot up and be the hologram there that allows him to do that. Those are more, you know, more relevant futuristic type uh, gadgets compared to back then but if you think about it back then how many people were actually thinking hey yeah let's use a flashlight with an infrared to you know uh, look for the the footprints that were in chemicals so in some ways I think the gadget use is still used it's not nearly used as much I mean even to a degree outside of the use of the Batmobile just within the short amount of stories we've had here we had him in a car yes it wasn't the Batmobile at that time but he had a car Uh, we see him in the Batplane we see him using not only the gadgets the infrared but he also had gas pellets he also i mean so there was a lot of different things that were used in just these this this short range of stories so i think compared to nowadays there is a lot less use of gadgets but that doesn't necessarily mean that i want it to be like that either i you know i don't want the gadget to be the reason why he gets out of everything but i think that in some ways it, it is part of the fiber of the character, so I think it's important to be to, to have those gadgets used occasionally. Yeah, I don't think Batman would be the same without his his gadgets and without his ability to plan ahead. I mean, I think that's something that that definitely is is something that's carried on from the character is his ability to think forward and and forward plan, as we saw in in the comics, is that. The idea is that Batman's always one step ahead of everyone and he's planned for every single contingency. And I think that's something you definitely see within this within this incarnation of Batman. So leading on sort of from that, in these comics, especially, well, in Batman number one, we see the arrival of all these brand new characters that do go on to become a mainstay in the Batman universe, most notably Catwoman and the Joker. How do you think their characterization is different from today? And again, is there kind of elements that you feel have carried on at all? And how do you feel their portrayal is in these stories as well? Well, kind of going back to what you two were saying earlier about Joker's intelligence and planning abilities that were displayed in this story, it is not as prevalent in in current storytelling so it was it was nice to see that the joker that you know people are introduced to sometimes in the movies does have a basis in in the comics he he came from there and so i think that there are the fact that he he was there with a goal in mind with an end goal in mind which was to steal these jewels and terrify people at the same time it was nice to see that his goal was not just mayhem and chaos, as it seems to be so often now. Still stealing and doing what's best for Catwoman. Her characterization, from what I've seen, has not changed 
overly dramatically, aside from maybe she's not really willing to dress up and go and inject herself into the theft of something. She does it very quietly and on her own and as a cat burglar would. Uh, the characterization I thought was kind of funniest was actually Commissioner Gordon in his introduction because he was like, no, sure, Bruce Wayne, why don't you just come along with me to this crime scene? You've got nothing better going on. And I, it, it was interesting that they portray them as friends, whereas now, you know, Batman and Commissioner Gordon are friends, but Bruce Wayne does not really have a huge relationship with him, aside from Bruce Wayne being a benefactor to the city. So I think that speaks very much to the time period that the comic was written in. Yeah, and just going right off the James Gordon thing, a lot of it has to do with, I think, back then, the benefactors were really thought to be you know, friends of the city, and the fact that it was Commissioner Gordon who's in charge, he is going to treat the benefactors for the city much differently so they'll be social friends and things like that outside of it now i have no idea how it was back then but i am you know when i read you know the initial oh yeah come along with me and you can come check out the crime scene i thought that was a little bit odd but then again maybe that was a common thing back then because they didn't really have to worry about the you know they weren't worrying about forensics and someone dirtying up a crime scene you know maybe they dust for prints back then but they're not going to probably be doing much more forensic work outside of that and even then there was no computerized you know system for fingerprints and things like that so you could be taking forever and you're not really going to solve anything so uh, for the other characters i think joker for the most part you know i think that in some ways the joker I mean, I, I think a lot of it changed in the 50s and 60s when the Joker became more of a ha-ha-ha Joker guy instead of the, you know, cunning, planning, maniacal guy who was, you know, straight up murdering people so that he could accomplish his goals. But that's a test of the times, and that's why that happened. Um, as far as Catwoman, it's, you know, the funniest thing I have to say about Catwoman is the fact that, like, her first appearance, the first thing that happens is Batman's, you know, I got googly eyes for, you know, the fact that he basically lets her escape. It, it's that that is basically setting up exactly the relationship between Batman and Catwoman forever. I mean, the fact that, you know, she's always on that line of gray. I mean, here she definitely wasn't on the line of gray. She was definitely doing doing something criminally and illegally, but uh, Batman was just, I guess, enthralled by her beauty for some unknown reason and decides that he's going to, you know, let her escape and even prevents Robin from letting, you know, going after her and, and just lets her escape. So I find that kind of interesting. I mean, that's that's taken to a much larger degree back then compared to now. Much, you know, more now, you know, we probably wouldn't hear Batman say, quiet or pop a spank. But, you know, nonetheless, I think that the, the idea is that, you know, Batman was enthralled with her. Uh, Batman, to a degree, is still enthralled with her, even if in the current run of comics we see them having, you know, you know, butting heads more than, you know, having an actual relationship. But there's, they, they've always had something going on since the very beginning, and this is just, you know, setting that up. As you two said, I think that's that's perhaps the most interesting bit of these two stories is that you see the relationship start to automatically develop between Catwoman and Batman um, and that the, there's an infatuation there, certainly on Batman's part. I do agree with you. I don't think, I think the language would have been ex expressed slightly differently uh, now, but that was very much a, I think, 1940s thing. To be fair, probably now in the New 52, they'd both be naked and rolling around with their masks on. So I think you could take it either way, to be honest with that one. And the Joker, as we've discussed earlier, he's much more strategical thinking, much more intelligent and has a bigger, I think, a bigger end game than he tends to be portrayed now. And I think that's a shame that that's part of his characterization that's very much gone from the the character in our, as a whole, really. In the the last one that we saw with the death of the family... Joker had a kind of end game, but it was very wishy-washy and it wasn't completely defined. Whereas in this one, he's very set on what he's going to get and how he's going to get it and how about how he's going to go about and do it. And I think it's starting to come back, but I don't think it's it's completely there. 
I still think he tends to be a bit more insane and a bit more crazy within that. Going on from that and, and talking about sort of the differences between the 1940s and the first incarnations of Batman to now, how do you feel about at the end of Detective number 27 where Batman lets a man fall to his death effectively? He doesn't try to stop it. He doesn't try to to prevent it. And and in a few a couple of in the first couple of issues, very much he 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 does kill or he lets villains die and be washed away and he kind of treats it very nonchalantly at the end of detective 27 he goes well that's a fitting end for his sort of person how does that make you feel does that fit with the characterization of batman is it perhaps a place for him to kind of move a bit more darker or do you want to see him not kill at all batman's opposition to killing i've never really understood that because he's he's actively choosing to go against the law. Like vigilantism is an illegal act. And I, I assume obviously that would stem from watching his parents, you know, brutally murdered in an alley in front of him. But I don't think, I think that within detective comics 27, there's no reason for that, that reaction and that death to seem out of place because while I thought that the story that was in Batman number one with his origin was actually detective comics 27, I thought that was in there. The fact that detective comics 27 was published first, we don't have any of that backstory. We don't have that. I think that his reaction makes sense there. That being said, after that element of his story is introduced, I do think that he I do think that the writers would be more conscious and say, okay, no, he's probably not about killing people or letting people die. He would be about punishing criminals, but not as judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, the big thing is, you know, initially in Detective Comics 27, we don't know his origin. They Actually, there is a thing in the beginning where it says his origin is unknown, leading us to believe that we have no idea where he came from. We don't know who he is. It wasn't until Batman number one that his origin story is actually you know, revealed to the reader. So leading into the eventual Batman number one and even the initial uh, first appearance of Robin, we don't really know anything about Batman and how he came to be. We don't know that he is who he is because his parents were murdered. We don't know that at all. So the important thing is, you know, is it okay for Batman to let these people die? In this comic, it makes sense because at the time, this, I mean, Detective Comics itself was a very pulpy comic. It was about, you know, gangsters and about private detectives and stuff like that. And that's what it was really about. It, you know, the idea of someone getting killed or someone dying. It was not unheard of at the time. It would, it made complete sense. It wasn't until probably the introduction of Robin that they started to scale back because they thought to themselves, maybe we have a commercial success on our hands and we, the, you know, we need to, you know, kind of maybe pull back on the amount of killing that actually happens. So that way this can appeal to children as well or kids. That's not to say that it, you know, in some ways, some of these stories I would allow my child to read because they are a little bit darker, but I think that again, it, this all is this is part of the reason why the character is so dark presently in, in comics is the fact that you know initially the, when the character was first created, it was a very very dark character. He had no problems whether or not they you know someone if someone died or just letting them die. Now he wasn't actually killing them, but he definitely wasn't saving them either. Kill, uh, you know, kicking the guy into the acid and then basically saying, well, hey, you know, he gets what he deserves. You know, that's not something we'd see nowadays but i think back then it was it was completely fine based off the type of comic that it was appearing in that being said you don't see that nowadays which i find interesting is like they've scaled back on the fact that you know he he you know for a while it was oh he never uses guns even though there was guns in his initial appearance it was you know, Batman never wants to use a gun because of the way his parents die. Then it, they took it to an extreme and said, you know, Batman doesn't kill. He refuses to cross that line and, you know, and have someone die. But how many times have we seen where Batman, he just can't get to saving somebody and they die or he puts them in a predicament where they, you know, they could die and there's not a way to, you know, prevent that from happening. That being said, there's, there's, 
I still think that to a degree, the only one of the main reasons why Batman doesn't kill nowadays is because he's linked to the Justice League, and the Justice League is these characters that you know they don't they don't kill. Superman is this like epitome, and you can't have Superman teaming with Batman if Batman's killing people on the side. So I think that that's probably the major reason why Batman is not like that because if that was the case Batman and Superman would be like moral enemies for life because even though Batman's you know a vigilante he's still doing good but he's doing good to the opposite way that Superman would do it so I think the whole reason behind this is that you know in order for Batman to work well with these other superheroes within the same universe he can't kill and that's the main reason now I would love to see a story someday where you see Batman, you know, kill somebody, the Justice League, not very happy about it. And he has to, you know, he's not with the Justice League for an extended amount of time. And they've had stories similar, not to the exact degree that I'm describing, but they've had stories where he, you know, he has his, he has his differences with the Justice League. But I think it would be cool to have something happen where Batman legitimately, you know, he he has to go back to being on his own or working with his, you know, direct bat family rather than being this, this global character that's in all of the other titles that DC publishes. Completely agree. I think that would be a very interesting development on his part. I certainly agree that it, it does make sense within detective 27 and the way that the story goes, as you said, it is a very, it was a very sort of pulpy, trashy, comic again with with the private detectives so there was that kind of darker edge to it even though comics traditionally tend to be associated with children um that that's not to say obviously that people who read them are effectively children it's it's a very dark line and i think it's something that we've seen come back i do think there perhaps have been cases where Certainly you've seen Batman not really make an effort to save someone, which I think is how, if you wanted to reconcile the two, the fact that Batman does pretty much just kick him off the the edge into a, a vat of acid, and this idea that Batman doesn't kill is that there, Batman's not directly responsible for their death. He's slightly contributed towards it, but they've not been able to save themselves and he's not moved fast enough to to save them and i think that would be perhaps the most interesting way of doing it and that's certainly i think to me how it portrays in this story but at the same time i can see how people can see it as batman does kill so again with that kind of in mind I think it's worth sort of turning and having a look at the writing of, of Bill Finger. Within this, it's a very narration heavy. It's almost all talk, I think, this comic really. It's not so reliant on the artwork, whereas I would say now comics are very much reliant on the artwork. And you do get a very uh, 1930s feel going all the way through in the use of the language and and how they talk um, you know, they're sat there smoking pipes and Bruce Wayne is having a chat with the commissioner and their friends and their pals. As it would have been in the 1930s, those sort of people knew everybody else, especially in metropolis cities, which, whilst it's not named, is is where Gotham is very much at the time. And there is, as we've pointed out, a difference in, in the language as well. Batman saying to Catwoman, Papa Spank, and she's got lovely eyes, oh, I've got a girl at home, and the way that he talks to Robin. How did you guys feel about the writing, and do you think that it, like me, it propels the story forward and it's the main focus of it, or do you actually think that the writing is really quite poor? Like you, I think the writing really does drive this story. The art uh, is very, very simple. It's very simplistic and keeping with the times. So it's primarily narr- narration and dialogue that, that do drive the story. And I, I found it a bit, it, the pairing of it, I found a bit tedious at times because you'd see panels where nothing really happened, nothing really happened, but there's a whole bunch of either narration or dialogue going on. 
and it made the stories seem, in my opinion, a lot longer than they actually were. The stories themselves, I thought, were very well written for their time. They they are simple stories, but it's that's what was selling. That's what people wanted to hear. The dialogue, as you mentioned, is a bit jarring because you know you know I, I've got a girl named Julie, quiet or Papa Spank. Like those are just things you you really wouldn't see in comics anymore because people don't talk like that anymore. You know, I don't refer to my best fella. Um, I'm sure you guys don't refer to your best girls or your ladies or anything like that. So that part is a time jump. And you do have to kind of remind yourself that that's that's the time period that we're dealing with. But overall, I, I did think that the writing was well done. And I don't think that... Sorry, it was Bill Finger that did the writing. I don't think that he gets enough credit for what he ended up doing with the character there. The problem is that the writing is very simplistic. At the time, they really didn't have thought bubbles. You didn't really have the exposition between the characters. You really just literally had everything that was happening needed to be said. That's that's how everything was in the, back then. And the problem is that it just, that's not how it is now. I mean, now you've, you constantly, you barely see Batman talking at all. It's all his inner monologue of inside his brain of what he's thinking. And it's not at all about what he's actually, you know, it's not at all what, he, you know, him just saying, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. He's not telling every that. You, the only time you ever really see him talk is when he's talking to somebody. It almost, in some ways, feels like Robin was put into the story so that Batman could have someone to actually speak to, to describe what was happening. That's just how it was back then. And, you know, that, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, the writing in any way harms the story. You have to look at these stories from a specific time period, and it's very different from what we would read nowadays. There's much, I mean, you don't get nearly as much dialogue per panel as you do in these old stories, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the writers for these stories, they had to, like, literally lay out exactly what was happening. In some ways, I wonder if when they were writing the scripts for the issues, if it was actually just literally... Here's the here's the the actual dialogue for everybody. That's what the scripts were because it almost feels like that, given the fact that the dialogue is so you know detail heavy with what's occurring in each panel. Yeah, I I, I certainly agree that you've got to I think look at these in in context. I mean, would you guys have an issue if maybe not for an extended period of time, but perhaps for a couple of issues or as a one shot? They had someone come into to Batman now and wrote in that kind of style and had the narration and had it almost, as you guys say, silent within within the panels. Would that put you off, do you think? Do you think we've kind of changed and moved away from that or would that be something that you'd welcome? I know that there have been issues that have been told entire, entirely through narrative and, and exposition. I didn't have a problem with it, but I those stories for me typically are one and dones. So I don't I don't know that I would be able to read an entire story arc like that necessarily. But I know for single issues, I found it not terrible. From a, a personal perspective, I would agree with you, Melinda, that I think it does. It would work certainly, perhaps as a one shot or one story. I would find it annoying if they did it for a story arc but i'd certainly be interested to see how they do it and where it it would go and actually i wonder whether they would almost do as they did with uh, batman and robin in the new 52 where they do an entire issue without batman speaking after the death of damien whether actually they would they would do that way and the art would carry it through which is something that i don't think if they tried to do it then they would they'd be able to do because in my opinion i think although bob kane is revered i'm not a big fan of his artwork i do think it's very weak i'm not a particularly big fan of the batman costume i don't think it looks quite right um, it seems to be very one-dimensional and i know that you have to kind of look at it as we've said all the way through in the context of the time 
but I feel that there just doesn't seem to be any substance to it. The colours are very simplistic. There's no shading, which, I mean, even then wouldn't have been that much of a stretch, to be honest, for them to do. It's all very bright, blocky colours. And for me, I just, I couldn't get to grips with it and I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. How did you guys feel with the drawings of Bob Kane? Definitely not my favorite style of artwork. Like I said, it, it fits with what I understand comics were at the time. And looking through the the remaining stuff in Detective Comics, yeah, that, that is the art style that everyone was doing. And I don't think it's been until more recently that you really get those distinctive, oh, that's this artist. You can pick them out of a lineup. I think that it was just they were striving for a continuous look. The artists probably were not necessarily available all the time. The other problem with the arts, I mean, not specifically in these stories, but the problem with Bob Kane's art as time progresses is that his art, there, there's very little to actually say this is his art because we also know that Bob Kane had a lot of ghost artists working on his art as well. And specifically, if when you think about that, and he his name was still you know the one who was attached to the art, even though he ne- not he wasn't necessarily the one doing the art. It's very difficult to sit there and say that he had a uh, he had a specific art style. That being said, his art style is extremely simplistic. There's there's very little detail. It reminds me a lot of like you know the Sunday funnies and stuff like that, where or the Sunday you know cartoon insert in the newspaper where you'd have these color comic strips and. You know, you get just enough detail to, you know, tell the story, but like compared to the the art that is, you know, now or even art that was in the 70s and stuff like that, it's like the most generic thing you could possibly have. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think it is a very generic artwork, and I think that's very much my, my issue with it. So with that being said, that's the end of the review for Batman Detective number 27 and Batman issue number one. Personally, summing up, I think that the issues themselves are okay. I think they're very much a product of their time. And I think that, to be honest, they wouldn't translate well into the modern period now. However, you do see a lot of characterization and a lot of development of the characters that very much sets the tone for Batman and for his rose gallery as, as well throughout that period. You see the arrival of Hugo Strange, you see the arrival of the Joker and Catwoman as well and these all have their, their first appearances within Detective Comics and within Batman in these first sort of few years and they really develop and they have influenced very heavily the the storytelling all the way through but in my opinion that they are not the greatest they're very much for diehard batman fans i think if you're looking to get into batman these are not issues that i would start with at all these are issues probably i, I wouldn't even recommend However, on that, I'm going to give it three out of five batarangs. Melinda, what did you think? You said overall these are these are good stories. Well, they're okay stories, but they are not they are not the introduction that you should be giving anyone to Batman. I'm going to say, based on how long some of the stories felt despite not being long at all, I'm going to go two and a half out of five batarangs. Yeah, here, here's my thoughts. You know, this is, there, there's a reason why Batman's origin is rewrote every every so often. You know, we just, we're seeing it now in the pages of uh, Batman with uh, Zero Year by Scott Snyder. You know, uh, Frank Miller did his, his take on Batman's origin with Batman Year One back in the 80s. There's a reason this, it keeps getting reworked, and the reason why is because, there, 
times change. Things get different, and you have to kind of update the character to be more relevant towards the, the current audience. Now, that being said, you know, Frank Miller's take in the 80s compared to Scott Snyder's take here in the last couple of years, a lot of time hasn't actually passed, but yet, you know, the, the audience is potentially changing, so that's why they're redoing it. When you look at these early stories and you look at how Batman was, I mean, even Batman's origin story in Batman number one, very, very simplistic. There's not very much to it. It basically is telling you, you know, his parents died. He became a bat because a bat flew in the window and gave him the idea. You've got a couple of memorable quotes quotes that we still see here and there in comics nowadays with the superstitious cowardly lot. But like for the most part, there's very little that still stands outside of the general ideas from these original stories. And a lot of it has to do with the simplistic writing, the you know, the simplistic art style and things like that. There's not very much that still stands as outside of the general ideas of things. So that being said, as far as Detective Comics 27, I mean, to, for a first story to introduce a character, you can tell that they weren't necessarily thinking that this was going to be a character that they were going to continue to do month after month because it does, it's just one story in the entire comic and it's focusing on this character. You know, a year or two later, they tell the origin of Batman. And even then, it's not really going into depth. It's not until much, much later that we actually learn more about the origin of actually Batman and things like that. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, even Batman number one, the fact that we're introducing these characters like Joker. Hugo Strange was already, he already appeared in an issue of Detective Comics, but Hugo Strange, and we've got Catwoman and then Joker again in all of these stories. There's not very much that's that stays completely true to these early stories i do have to say that for 10 cents batman number one you get a ridiculous amount of stories that you would never get in any way shape or form nowadays for you know the comparable price so i think that quantity is does not always equal quality for these and combined for the two of them i'm also going to give them two and a half out of five batterings so that's it for Batman Detective Comics number 27 and Batman number 1. Next episode, we will be turn, returning to our regular scheduled programming by taking a look at the first six issues from Batman No Man's Land, Volume 3. We'll be taking a look at Shadow of the Bat 89, Batman 569, Detective Comics 736, and Robin issues 68 through to 70 so make sure you pick up those issues for next time if you'd like to give your opinion about the comics that we review or just give any kind of general feedback then you can leave a comment under each podcast by going to the batman universe website and you can leave it there and we'll reply and we will read out these on the podcast so i've been your host john thank you very much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed this revamped version of Bat Books for Beginners and I've been joined by this is Melinda and this is Dustin and thank you very much for listening and we'll see you guys next time see you then see you